Please take out your Bibles and open them up to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is where we resume our study this morning. As you know, we've been making our way through this book, the first of three letters that Paul wrote that we call the pastoral epistles. And we call them the pastoral epistles because Paul is writing to young men in ministry, or at least men in ministry. We know that Timothy was young. I don't know how old Titus was. But men in ministry who were given charges at separate churches, one in Ephesus, which was Timothy, and one in Crete, which was Titus, and giving them instruction for how they are to execute what God-inspired structure in the church look like. And so a lot of these, a lot of portions of these letters are very technical, and so like we get qualifications for elders, which we looked at last week. Today we're looking at the qualifications for deacons. But don't let the technicality of that kind of lead us away from some central truths that are herein. Because as we think about what we're reading here and what we're looking at, these are very important qualifications for men and women who serve in our churches. But they're also good, just good character qualities that we as Christians should possess. So when we think about the character qualities of overseers, which we looked at last week, about being above reproach, being faithful to your spouse, being sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, you know, not, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Uh, those are just good character qualities to have. Those are the things that we should aspire to anyway. In fact, the people, the pool of men that Timothy was supposed to pull overseers from should, should already be displaying that. That's how they should live their lives. And, and the qualifications for deacons we're going to see here in just a moment are very similar. It's not something that we don't aspire to these qualifications that then one day we might be deacon. It's like, no, the person who's to be a deacon must already possess these things and be living this out. In other words, Officers, overseers in a church, and servants in the church, deacons, need to display the character of Christ. That is what is primary. That's exactly Paul's point. Uh, I suppose I could just quit now and just say, hey, we got the point, but uh, I have a few more things I'd like to say. So if you would, please now look, let your eyes get to 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 8 through verse 13 as we read the qualifications for deacons. Beloved of God, this is God's infallible and errant word. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonor, dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So ends the reading of God's Word. May He add His blessing. Please pray with me. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. Thank You for the clear-cut instruction that You give us. Little is left to the imagination here. You tell us exactly what it is that we should be pursuing character-wise for people who would serve in the local body. Father, I pray that we would all be Christians who embody these things because these things really do display the character of Christ to our world. So be with us this morning as we make our way through this paragraph, open up our minds and hearts to receive from you, and transform us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In the throes of, of World War II, England was in crisis 
uh, because there was a shortage on coal, and that's how they powered a lot of the stuff that he needed was coal. It was coal-powered. And Churchill, being a master communicator, he called a meeting. He called a meeting that he was going to have to, he knew he was going to have to increase coal production for England to stay current. So he calls a meeting with people. He calls a meeting with councils and other people, and he tells them the story. He creates this story. He tells them after the war, after the war when we win and we beat Germany, we're, we're, we're going to have a grand parade, and, and, our, and our military service men and women, they're going to be marching through the street to the applause and cheers of our people, and they're going to be celebrated. And after this heroic group of people, it's going to come another group of people, and they're going to be dirty, soot-stained, and torn up clothing, and bent over with fatigue, and the people are going to ask them, well, where were you? Where were you when the war needed you? Where were you when England needed her men to respond? And they would answer, Churchill said, we had our face to the coal. And Churchill was creating a love for people who were going to abdicate the glory and honor and the celebration of serving in the military and who are going to get a pickaxe and a shovel and go get the necessary coal that made those people able to win. He was celebrating the little guy. He was celebrating the man behind the scenes. He was celebrating, celebrating the guy who did all the background work so that the other guys could have the glory. He was talking about what it means to be a servant. Well, when we think about deaconing and deacons, that's what Paul is talking about. They're no less noble of character, but it's a, it's a group of people whom we would have who are willing to serve. That's their primary call. When we look at the paragraph that we've just read, actually, if you think about the paragraph that we read last week, and I just read some of it a moment ago, the paragraph is not too dissimilar from the previous paragraph. And in some ways, if you look at verses 1 to 7 and then 8 to 13, and you hold them side by side, they're almost identical in some ways. And that shouldn't surprise us, right? Uh, because Paul's got a basic point here that God has a, has a general focus on people he wants to serve in the local body, and it should make sense to us that God requires high character for the overseer. He's also going to require high character for the deacon, and there's a good reason why. The overseer, the elder, leads in the name of Christ and for the, good of, for the glory of Christ and for the good of the church. The deacon serves in the name of Christ for the glory of Christ and the good of the church. So they're separate roles. They have different functions, but each person in those roles are to display the, glory, or to the character of Christ to the glory of God because neither of those roles are done arbitrarily. They are done for the name and sake of Christ. There is an important distinction between elders and deacons. Elders, or deacons rather, assist the elder or the overseer in their oversight. That's what they're to do. They're to do some works of the church that, is, that make it possible for the overseer to focus on the tasks with which he is tasked. And so when we think about deacons, Deacons are to put their face to the coal, if we're going to use Churchill's picture. They're put their face to the coal to do the necessary works of service for the good of the church. A deacon is called to serve. Now, Brad, are elders also called to serve? Yes. 
Is it anybody who's not an elder or a deacon in the church called to serve? Yes. So what we're dealing with here is a special group or a team of people who are called out of a local body, right, who are all servants to serve that local body so that they can assist the elders who lead that local body under the direction of Christ to the glory of God. We always have to keep that clear. It's interesting here. It really is. If you notice the list that we just read, isn't it pretty interesting that Paul makes no mention of the duties that deacons do? Makes no mention of the duties that deacons do. And I think that this is true probably for about for two reasons. Firstly, probably, there was an existing framework for diaconal work. At this point in the church, they already had an idea of what it is that deacons do. We know that they worked with widows. We know that they did other, other uh, practical things in the local body so that elders wouldn't have to focus on that. So the, one of the reasons Paul doesn't list the duties here is because they already understood what it is they were being called to do to some degree or another. Now, secondly, and this is just Brad's opinion, but I like, I like it. <laughs> secondly, I think that, or it seems reasonable to me, that Paul would not give a specific list of duties to allow the overseer's elders in each specific local context to nuance it a bit. So, in other words, to give elders the opportunity to direct them more without having a hard and fast list of everything. Hey, deacons, here's generally what you'll do, but elders get an opportunity to make that more nuanced and more specific. And so I think he's given elders an opportunity to lead in this way by not just saying these are the duties of the deacons in every church because Paul understood that every church is different and every church is going to be in a different context and every church is going to have somewhat different needs, although some needs are going to overlap. But there are going to be some, uh, some opportunities for elders to nuance what deacons do. Having said that, here's what I want to say. What deacons do matters. It really matters what they do and what they're tasked with. But what matters most is that the character of our deacons mirrors that of Christ. And that is why Paul lets that stay primary in this paragraph for us this morning. And so with those thoughts in mind, I've got a simple point for us, and it's this. Christ-likeness should mark the servants of Christ. And I'm definitizing servants here because I'm using that word for deacons. Christ-likeness should mark the servants of Christ. So as Paul is talking about deaconing, he's not talking about deaconing so much as what the people who are deaconing look like, what their character look like. And so we, we know and we can see here that those called uh, to official service, and that's what this is, it's, it's an official service in the church, a, a, an official position in the church to serve. Those called to official service really must simply embody godliness. They must be godly people. That's what we want. We want that for the sake of outsiders who come to visit. We want that because we want people serving and working in our midst to reflect godliness, not worldliness, not fleshliness. I don't know if that's a word or not. Um, or not ungodliness. We want them to, to reflect godliness, to reflect the character of the God that, whose name they are serving under, whose banner they are serving under. And that's what makes ministry effective. You know, so often, see, in America, and I can only speak to this context, this is the context I'm in, so often in the America, in, in the church that is present in America, you see a swapping of character for, something, for someone that is dynamic. If someone is a dynamic person, we're willing to concede some character traits, and Scripture says 
No. No. We need good and honorable men to serve as elders, men of high character, men who see it as a noble task, men who take the charge seriously and earnestly. And we need people as deacons who understand that they really are, not trying to be trite here, they really are the hands and feet of Christ in a local body, and they are doing things to serve in said local body. And so their character matters. This is not just anybody. We need men and women who are godly. When we look here, clearly, Paul, right in verse 8, deacons likewise, so we know exactly what we're dealing with. The word, the Greek word deacon means to serve. I mean, if you were going to make it literal, wait tables. But the general idea, what the word came to mean, was to serve in some capacity. And in other words, I've already said this before, the deacons were tasked, especially in the early church and even to this day, often doing the background work. I mean, to that end, for most of you, when you show up here on Sunday mornings, you see things set up. And by the time you leave here, you see things torn down. Now, there are other people in the church who help out that, but that is organized by our deacons. Our deacons make sure that all these little things that have to happen for our services to go work. And they, or our deacons are the one finding out who needs meals delivered. Our deacons are the one finding out who needs some sort of works of service. And so that's what deacons do. They are doing the background work that is essential for the church to function like it should. Now, when Paul says this, Paul, I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning this now so that I can come back to it later. But when Paul says deacons likewise, that likewise, he's connecting them with the elders. So in some sense, there's, there's, uh, it's identical, their character aspect part. Their roles are different, of course. We've already said that. But by using this connector likewise, that's a grammatical device. What that tells us right now that Paul is moving on to a different group. Paul has said, all right, elders, overseers, this is you. And now likewise, in the same manner but different, deacons, this is you. And he's using that to, to clue to us that he's moving on to a new group, which is going to be important here in just a few minutes. But he tells them, he opens up, deacons must likewise be dignified or honorable in character. When we look at this, just like I said with the overseers, when he says deacons likewise must be dignified, he's giving us the overarching character trait. What, what must a deacon be? A deacon must be dignified. And he's going to spend now the next few sentences and phrases telling you what that means. What does it mean to be dignified? And Paul does this in just about every instance. He sometimes will tell you what something means by telling you what it's not. And he will do that uh, here to some degree or another. So he says that they are dignified, that he is, dignity defines his life. When we see the de deacon, we see a dignified person. And so he says, what does it mean to be dignified? Well, it starts, it's interesting the way, and literally in Greek, you would read this, and it says not double-tongued, which is a great translation, but literally in the Greek, it says not insincere. And if you let that sink in just for a second, you've got two negatives, not insincere. So really what they're trying to say is sincere. Two-faced or double-tongued gets that the heart of it. That's, that's the kind of the more kind of, a street-level meaning of what they're trying to say here, not double-tongued. He doesn't, he's not two-faced. He doesn't say one thing over here and another. In other words, what marks the deacon? What is, what is, how is the deacon dignified? Well, at the very least, the deacon is a sincere person. They mean what they say, and they say what they mean. We like to think of them as you can take them at their word. That's a good way to think about it. 
it says that they're not drunkards. In other words, he uses not drunkard and then not uh, greedy for gain, literally. So I'm going to sum both of those up in one word. What Paul tells deacons to avoid is gluttony. Don't overindulge. Don't give yourself to indulgence, whether it be in wine, whether it be in money. Be humble. Live your life humbly. Dependent on the Lord. Let your joy come from the Lord and His Spirit among you, not from things of this earth. In other words, what Paul is telling deacons here to do, avoid worldliness, just like he said with overseers. When people see you, deacon, do they see worldliness or do they see godliness? Is your life ordered by the standard of Scripture or do you live more in line with the culture? And then Paul builds on this, likewise dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And then here's the positive. So he's he's told us firstly what dignified is by what it's not. So it's not those things. Here's Here's the central tenet to their dignity. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clean conscience. It's interesting here that Paul uses this for deacons. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clean conscience. Now, when we think of mystery, you've heard me say this before, mystery, especially in Greek, is very different than how we use it in English. In English, of course, a mystery is something that is unsolved or that's not solvable that we can't get to the bottom of. Mystery in Greek, however, is not so. If you have, a, if you have some of the modern translations, maybe the NIV even will do this. It'll call it the deep truth or holding the deep truth maybe or something along those lines. That's getting at the heart of what mystery is. Mystery in Greek is a deep truth that God has revealed. And so when Paul is telling them they must hold the faith, they must hold the mystery of the faith, they must hold to the deep truth of faith that God has revealed through Christ and is revealing through Paul. And so this, and, but I, I love how he definitizes the faith, not just faith, but the faith, a specific Uh, a specific set of beliefs that Paul is saying, deacon, if you were to be dignified and to serve in God's church, you must hold fast to the Christian truth, the Christian ethic, and Christian principles. That these things that are to define your life are uncompromising in you. Like, you not only hold fast to them, they define you. People see it at work in you. That's the beauty of what Paul is saying. I mean, everything that he's saying here, it needs to be observable. Will deacons do this perfectly? No. Just like overseers won't do it perfectly either. This is the beauty of grace and the thing that we have as, as redemption in Christ. But if, we could, if, if I could take another word that's not mentioned here, but I think is an apt summation of what Paul is calling them towards, <laughs> he's calling them to love God by being dignified and holding to the faith with a clean conscience, and to love their neighbor by being dignified, by being sincere, by not being a glutton, and by not being worldly, but being honest and loving and truthful. So it's a call to love on a deep level. But he does say this. He says, the mystery of the faith with a clean conscience. It's interesting here that he mentions that deacons have a clean conscience, Not that they're able to teach. Elders are to be able to teach, but he doesn't mention a clean conscience in that particular paragraph. But 
what does he mean by clean conscience? Well, he said, hey, you need to grasp the faith. You need to understand what it is that you believe. And by having a clean conscience that you live out that belief with, pure, with a pure heart, with a heart singularly devoted to Christ, that you get the gospel, you get the gospel, and you live like it. Because if you're going to hold to the mystery of the faith with a clean conscience, it means A, you believe it's true, B, you imbibe it, C, you live it. And that's the call. Paul continues on here. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. When he talks about here, let them be tested, I want you to understand that's actually an express command. That's not Paul saying, hey, you might want to test them. He's saying, if a person is going to serve as a deacon in the local body, they must be tested. In other words, they must have a period of time where on display, you're watching their lives, you're seeing them live, you're seeing, you're interacting uh, with them in worship. And they're proving that they're grounded. They're proving that they are faithful. Then Paul says, once they've been tested, again, you have another express command. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Let them serve is an express command. So when he says blameless here, think of above reproach. Uh, sometimes we hear blameless and we think somebody who never does anything wrong. That's not what Paul's getting at here. The general idea of this word is that he's a generally above accusation. He or she is generally above accusation. They don't stand accused because they live honorably before a watching world and before the church. And that they are serving God by serving his people. There is something beautiful here that is one, th- one of the things that's uniquely Christian. Now, I want you to think about everything we've just said thus far. We've seen the character. We, we, we cannot miss the sense of nobility that is attached to this type of service. In, Christi- in Christianity, there is honor given to servants. It is the servants that are honored. It is the servants that are to have noble character. It is the servants who are to be thought highly of, who are to be respected, who are to be regarded as someone, what I've already said it, of of noble character, that they're held in esteem. So often in other religions and in other cultures, service is reserved for the lowest caste. It's reserved for the throwaways, the people that nobody cares about, the people that you don't even notice. And Christianity, Yahweh says, The best will be servants in my kingdom. And I think that's something rich and beautiful. So to aspire to this office of service is to aspire to something that the Lord has called beautiful. The Lord has said, only will the best serve in my kingdom. Those who embody the character of Christ. Paul continues, and here we get to what has been a thorny issue in the history of the church. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. 
Now, Brad, that seems pretty straightforward. Why would this be a thorny issue? Because there is not agreement on who Paul is talking about here, and there's good reason why. If you look at verse 11 in the Greek text, if you have a New American Standard Version Bible in your lap this morning or in your hand and you read verse 11, you are reading about as literally translated as possible what verse 11 reads like. If we render this literally, it would say this, women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, when we look at this text, your first question is going to say, well then Brad, why does our English translations say wives if it means women? Well, the word there for woman is gune, and it can mean wives or women. That's the first issue. So it's a translation choice when someone translates it wives or women. Secondly, there is a possessive pronoun in there called there. When you look in the Greek text, that there is not there. <laughs> the possessive there is not in the text itself. So literally, it either reads wives likewise must be dignified or women likewise must be dignified. So the three options typically that are chosen for what this text is saying is the first option is literally Paul is talking about the wives of deacons and that's it. It's just admonishing them in their character. That's one option that people choose. A second option that people choose is just women in general, that Paul has transitioned. Remember I told you how that connector likewise lets you know you're moving into a different group. That grammatical device, we, we would think of the Greek word gune here as woman. Paul is talking about the women who are going to serve in this role as deacons. That's the second option that people choose. A third option is that they're neither the wives, literally, nor women, deacons, but some sort of special uh, group of women who were assistants to deacons that helped them out when they were dealing with uh, widows or other things, in other cases where they had to serve in areas where there were going to be females present. So since the word there is not in the text, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, it seems very doubtful to me that Paul is addressing the wives, especially since Paul did not address the wives of overseers. If this were going to be something laid on deacons and their wives, you would expect the same thing for elders and their wives to get the same scrutiny and attention. And, and I said, as I said, with the absence of the uh, pronoun there, wives seems doubtful to me. Now, there is a modern-day practice. I think um, in some churches that you visit, you'll see husband and wives who are both deacons on a deacon uh, board who serve together for that very purpose. But anyway, here, so you're left with two options. Either it's women deacons or it's some sort of assistant to uh, the deacons. I tend to think that Paul is talking about who, women who serve as deacons here just because the way the verse is laid out the way that he then talks about the character, he uses the identical word from verse 8, dignified, and another sense of not slanderers, not being double-tongued, sober-minded, not given to much wine, and faithful in all things. So there's a good reason why it seems like Paul's addressing the character of a woman who's going to serve in this capacity and role. And plus, we know from the early church, I mean, Paul in Romans 16.1 commends Phoebe, a deaconess uh, in the church, in the earliest church, we had women deacons serving, and there's good reason for that, especially when they were serving widows. Uh, the male overseers wanted females working with those widows to avoid any hint of sin or bad doings. 
And so it makes a lot of sense to me that what Paul had in mind here is actually women deacons who serve, and he's telling them that their character must be commiserate with their male counterparts, that they're to be godly, that we need godly women serving in our church. And again, dignified. How does he define dignified? By something that it's not and then something that it is, that they are not slanderers. In other words, they don't speak things that are not true. They don't give in to gossip. They don't allow themselves to get in mixed up in conversations that don't need to be in. These are women of noble character who stay above the fray and who speak truth to one another and to the people that they serve. He also says, I love, he says, um, sober-minded, then the notion that if you're going to speak truth, that means you've got to be clear in your thinking. You've got to have a good grasp of the truth of Scripture, but you also got to be able and apt to be able to think clearly so that you can serve well. And then he says, faithful in all things. Here again, in the pastoral epistles, you're getting one of the primary themes. What is Paul driving at in all three of these letters is this call to be faithful in the charge. If she's a wife, be a faithful wife. If she's a mother, be a faithful mother. If she's deaconing, be faithful in her deaconing so that the church may flourish and grow and exist and be as it should. Paul then has just addressed female deacons. He comes back round to male deacons here in verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. So male deacons, if you're married, literally, you're a one-woman man. You're a good father. So again, you get the same notion of he's the same qualifications he would place on male overseers, the overseers who are all male. He places on deacons who are going to serve as deacons who are male. They need to be faithful husbands. They need to be faithful fathers. So he's he's called to faithfulness to love and serve his wife. That's what it means to be a faithful husband, that husbands we love and serve our wives in ways that Christ loved and served the church. Because here's the thing, and I'll just say it plainly. If a man can't love and serve his wife, he can't love and serve the church. Marriage, marriage is a strong proving ground for love grace, and service. And Paul is saying, if he can't be faithful in the marriage, he can't be faithful in the church. That he manages his house well. well. Reed cares for his kids, body and soul. And that if he's he's managing his house well, respect is going to be present. That doesn't mean his kids are perfect. That doesn't mean that 100% of the time they're obedient and respectful. It just means, as a general rule, his children are respectful and they honor their parents, they honor their father. Because Paul would say, if you can't manage your children, you're not going to be able to manage service in the church. See, he places the bar high because the church is a reflection of the kingdom of God. And God seeks that the reflection of the kingdom of God in our world reflect the excellence of heaven. Now, we understand that we're never going to do it perfectly this side of of Eden, that we're going to make mistakes. 
And because we are fallible people, we are going to do things that are dumb sometimes. But as a general rule, he is calling people with this type of character to be excellent in his name for his glory and for the good of the church. He rounds this paragraph out by saying this, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So what he, what he leaves us with as he's given us this qualification, he leaves us with two primary, he's two primary benefits of deaconing well. So if you're going to deacon a deacon well, you're going to be a deacon and do it well, these are two benefits that you are going to gain from doing this. Firstly, he says, for those who serve well as deacons gain good standing for themselves. So firstly, what is he getting at here? A good reputation. They gain good standing for themselves. Why? How? Well, these are people we begin to identify as people who diligently serve, who labor for the good of others. I see it at the chapel. I'm not going to name any names. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but there are people on our diaconal board who I look at, and I know that they are of strong reputation because I watch how they serve our church with love and humility and charity and grace. And that's exactly what Paul says, as you deacon well, as deacon, deacon you, you deacon well, you will gain respect. You will gain admiration because of one simple idea. When we see loving service in action, we understand this is loving service that is now in the imitation of Christ. Someone, some man or some woman is serving because they love God and they love his people and they want to see the church grow and flourish. And beloved, when, when we can see that at work in somebody, it, that should draw our admiration. They do deserve our respect because they are laying their lives down for the sake of the church. And what a glorious, beautiful example that is. And Paul's not saying to put them up on a pedestal in some sort of unhealthy way. He's talking about a love and admiration that is expressed in thanksgiving and even return service. You are such a servant, brother or sister. How can I serve you? When we start doing that reciprocity and service, the church it becomes a beautiful organism because it's exactly how we're designed to function. When Jesus described himself, he said this, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You want to know what that word he used there to describe his own life and ministry? It's the word deacon. The Son of Man came and showed us perfect service, and so that those who serve in His name serve in imitation of Him. And we're not going to be redeeming anybody, but we do have the, option, the opportunity to show His love to others by the way that we serve. So Paul says, firstly, they grow in good reputation. Secondly, he says, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Why does he mention that? It's interesting that he mentions that here. Well, I'm convinced it's this. As they serve, as these deacons serve, and they see Christ work in situations, as a pastor, I have my own type of service. Richard and I do as the pastors of the chapel, and John Patrick as the youth, youth minister. We have our own types of service. But I can't tell you what happens to my faith 
when I see a situation where only the Lord could have done what needed to be done, and it came and it happened through different people serving in different ways, and people are rescued, or people are renewed, or people are healed, it causes my faith in Christ to grow. Paul is saying something similar here. As deacons serve, as they see Christ work, they grow in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So when we think about serving God, it leads to deeper faith. That's what Paul is driving at here. Serving God, let's just say this broadly, not just for deacons. Serving God leads to a deeper faith. When we practice His precepts, that's inevitably going to lead to growth. The more we serve, the more we see, the more we grow, which is why I'm telling you, invest in the community. Start picking up people's burdens with them. Start praying for people actively. But it's so cool when you start praying and you see God start answering prayers, that burdens that you've been helping this brother or sister carry all of a sudden now are being lifted or are being renewed or they're being renewed or they're getting this thing that they've been praying for or God has, has kept them from this that you've been praying for. It is a wonderful ministry of service that compels us to grow in our faith. I challenge you to do that more, to actually pray when you tell somebody you're going to and tell them that you did it, and then pray again some other time. Because the more you pray and tell people I'm praying, the more they're going to want you to pray for them. And the more you pray for them, the more you take on their burdens on yourself, you are now doing the work of intercessory. You're getting into the gap with that person, and you're walking with them. Beloved, let's do that. Deacons, please be doing that. Everybody, please be doing that. Because it's a fantastic way to grow in our faith as we see Christ move. Well, the summation of this is that faithful deacons exemplify the service of Christ. Overseers, elders, whatever we want to call them, are vital to the church. Elders are vital to the church. That's why good elders are important. And by good, I mean the men that Paul describes here. Pray for your elders. But beloved of God, deacons are vital to the church. You have a list of deacons in your bulletin that I would encourage you to be praying for weekly, and I guarantee you every one of those brothers and sisters would love for you to be praying with and for them, for their families, for their service. Deacons are called to serve in ways that are not always seen, that are not always lauded, that are not always celebrated. Yet the church cannot function without a faithful team of deaconal, diaconal people who are serving. In a very practical way, they are an ongoing reminder of what it means to lay your life down for the good of others. That's exactly what their calling is. As I said earlier, and I'll say it again, every one of us should serve in that way. That should all be our goal, to serve in that way. But deacons are the ongoing reminder of what it means to faithfully serve for the glory of God. If you in this room are not a deacon, you should aspire to be one. And if you aspire to deacon, you aspire to imitating Christ. And I can't think of a more beautiful way to serve than that. Live your life in the imitation of Christ. And if God is calling you to serve, then serve with all love, humility, and grace and joy, knowing that your labors in the Lord are never, ever, ever in vain. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for this word this morning, this brief paragraph on what it means to be a deacon, or at least what the heart of a deacon should be what the character of a deacon should be.
God, I pray that you would raise men and women up in our church, in our midst, who want to be deacons, who display a godliness that is contagious, that is obvious, it's visible. God, I pray for all our hearts that we would be men and women who at any time, if we are men, that we are ready by character to stand for elder. If we are a man or a woman who feel called to serve, that we are ready by character to stand for deacon. Oh, Father, thank you for your loving instruction. Thank you for your clear-cut teaching. Help us to live it out practically in all that we do. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.